Hey, thanks for joining us on the No Limits Church podcast. Here at No Limits, we are on a mission to make a difference in the lives of others. We want to help people know God, find freedom, and discover purpose. It's a journey, and we're all walking it together. So wherever you're listening from, we pray that you are encouraged and empowered by this week's message. Yeehaw! Welcome to No Limits. So thankful you guys are here at church, the best place to be on a Sunday morning. If you're joining us online, just want to say hey, welcome. We're so glad that you're with us. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Kate, and I'm the lead pastor here at No Limits alongside my wife, Beth. And here at No Limits, we're on a mission of making a difference. We want to help people know God, find freedom, and discover purpose. In other words, we want to help you live the life that you were created for, that God planned for you before you were even born. It's a journey. You don't get there overnight. You don't get there by yourself. And that's why we get together every Sunday. That's why we get together throughout the week in our small groups. And the goal we're reaching for is found in Ephesians 3.20, which basically tells us that God's going to blow our minds with what he can accomplish through us if we will humble ourselves and let his power work through us as a group of believers who just allow him full control. So that's what we're after. That's why we're called No Limits Church. So go ahead and look at whoever you're with right now and say, yo, take those limits off. All right, we got a new series today that we're calling Choose Joy. Look at your neighbor and say, ha ha. Oh, that was kind of weak. Look at your neighbor and say, ha ha. Now look at him and smile. Give him just the biggest smile. Look at each other in the eyes. I want to start off by showing you guys the core scripture for this series, and what we're about to read is actually a prophecy about Jesus before he came. It's found in the book of Isaiah, chapter 61, and it says, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me, for the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. Well, what is this good news that we speak of here? You don't have to pay for your sin. Jesus did it for you. Thank you, Jesus. That's the good news. Now, on a side note, remember last week about how we talked about the vision of our church and how it's really explained into four different things. Know God, find freedom, discover purpose, make a difference. Well, you're going to see all four of these things in this scripture that we're going to read right here. So when you hear the good news, this is the first part. That's your invitation to know God, right? That's what that's all about. You know God by receiving forgiveness through Jesus. So let's keep going. It says, He has sent me to comfort the brokenhearted and to proclaim that the captives be released and the prisoners will be freed. Come on, somebody, find freedom. Freedom. Didn't just, Jesus didn't just pay for your sin. He paid for you to be free. Good stuff right there. He wants to t- get free you from all those things that are holding you back, all those things that are holding you captive. He wants you free from sickness. He wants you free from addiction. He wants you free from generational curses. He wants you free from fear. He wants you free. He wants you completely free. It goes on to say that he has sent me to tell those who mourn that the time of the Lord's favor has come and with it the day of God's anger against their enemies. Sometimes we get a little upset about our enemies. It looks like they're flourishing out there, that they're, that they're winning, but they ain't, they ain't going to win. Look at this. The day of God's anger against, is going to come against our enemies. Bummer for them, good for us. But to all who mourn in Israel, he will give a crown of beauty for ashes, a joyous blessing instead of mourning, festive praise instead of despair. So this is what we call discover purpose. You had a purpose and the world just kind of has its way of distracting you from your purpose, pulling you from your purpose. But whenever you discover your purpose, these are the things that you get. God takes all the bad things in your life, all the places you're depressed and just kind of down and he replaces it with beauty and a joyous blessing and festive praise. There's nothing like living out your purpose. In their righteousness, they will be like great oaks that the Lord has planted for his own glory. 
I love that visual right there. Have you ever just been out in a forest and you just come across a big tree that's bigger than the rest of them? That's what he's talking about. Or how about the, the redwoods in California? Has anybody seen those in person? I haven't seen them, just pictures, but I would love to see them. But that's kind of the visual I get in this scripture. They will rebuild the ancient ruins, repairing cities destroyed long ago. They will revive them, though they've been deserted for many generations. So now that you know God, you're walking in freedom, you've discovered your purpose, now you're out making a difference. You're helping people rebuild their lives. You're helping people. That's good stuff. Repair their lives. You're out there leading people to the joy that you found in Jesus Christ. That's what it's all about. I told you guys, this is all throughout the Bible. This is a vision for our church. This is a direction for our church. And it's not something that we have to sit around and wonder, well, what does God want us to do? He made it really clear. It's not a mystery. We're here to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, make a difference, and then help people do the same. It's good stuff. Y'all, you don't have to be confused. It's that simple. So I just wanted to show you one more place where you can see our vision as a church, but only one of these verses was actually the core scripture for this series. So let's, let's look at it in a different translation Here's Isaiah 61, 3 in the New King James. To give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. God wants to give you joy for every area that you're struggling, for every area that you're depressed. He wants you to have joy. But I also want you to notice that the heaviness that we feel in life, it's not just circumstantial. There's what's called a spirit of heaviness. It can be spiritual and I don't think I have to convince you guys of that because I think we've all felt the sp- or experienced the spirit of heaviness this year in 2020. And last year, I re- Beth and I uh, were going to a conference in Seattle, and we traveled quite a bit last year going to all these different conferences. Usually it was just me and her, but this time we wanted to take the kids with us to Seattle. We have three girls, and at the time, our youngest, Riley, she was nine months old. Adeline was almost two, and Leanna was almost four. So we decided to go to Seattle with three kids, ages three and under. I don't know what got into us, but we were smart enough to bring along my mother-in-law. And I'm pretty sure without her, we would not have survived the trip. But I remember it like it was yesterday, because it's kind of traumatic, trying to get through the airport with three kids and three car seats and all the bags and this double stroller. I mean, it was just like carrying all this crap, you know, behind us. It's crazy. And don't even get me started about the looks that we got whenever we were getting on the plane with our three kids. Everybody, I'm pretty sure they were just like praying, please don't sit here. Please, please keep going to the back. It was pretty funny. But all in all, it was exhausting. <laughs> but we made it. We made it there. And so there we were in Seattle. And I kid you not, the very first time that I walked on the streets of Seattle, I experienced this spirit of heaviness. Like the spiritual climate in Seattle was a whole lot different than what I'm used to here in Owasso. It was, it was wild. You remember that? You know, people talk about how beautiful Seattle is, and it might be beautiful in the movies, but I couldn't wait to get the heck out of there. The spirit of heaviness was just so evident, and you'd think as like a pastor, I'd just be filled with compassion. Oh, these people, I got to start a church here or something. But I just got to confess to you guys, I didn't feel called to Seattle at all. I felt called to get out of there and come back to Owasso. And when I watched everything unfold in Seattle this year, how like the whole COVID thing kind of broke out in Seattle, like that's where it all started. And then they had that autonomous zone hanging out. You guys remember that? Like the COVID thing started in a nursing home in Seattle, and then it just kind of like spread throughout all the United I was like, oh my gosh, like it just confirmed the fact that what I felt in my spirit when I was in Seattle, it was really there. Like, that was kind of like the episode. It was crazy. So the spirit of heaviness is legit. It's real. But it doesn't have to be part of your life. 
You don't have to, even if you lived in Seattle, you don't have to have any part of that. Jesus came to replace that spirit of heaviness with joy. Joy. Look at whoever you're with right now and say, joy belongs to me. But you have a part to play in this. You have to choose it. You don't wait to feel joy. No, you choose joy, and then your feelings align with what you chose. Let me put it to you this way. Any of us can experience joy when those around us are joyful, right? Like, that's easy. But God wants you to choose joy even when your circumstances suck. Even when everything around you is falling apart, that's when it's so important that you got to choose joy. So now look at the same person and tell them, you got to choose it. The best example of choosing joy has to be the Apostle Paul. Like, he never had any reason to have a good day. Pretty much every day was bad for him. I mean, one time he got shipwrecked, nobody came to his rescue. So he's out bobbing on the water on a piece of the, of the ship, you know. And finally, a day and a half later, he lands on this island. And when he gets onto the island, he gets bit by a snake. I mean, that's a bad day. Seriously, this guy had every reason to have a bad attitude. He even got the, the same lashes that Jesus got on his back. Paul got him five times. We're talking about the 39 lashes that almost killed Jesus. Paul got those nine times throughout his life. He was stoned, and we're not talking about recreationally. Some of you might have thought, well, wow, at least he got some relief, right? No, we're talking about like rocks that you throw at him with the intent of killing him. How many of you would have given up following Jesus probably after the first round of 39 lashes? Or after the snake bit you? Yeah. Most of us would have done thought, you know, God must have left me. I mean... I mean, how could he allow this to happen to me? You know, Paul was like the super Christian. He wrote half, like, half of the New Testament. And here he was having bad days. Can you believe that? Yet Paul kept preaching the good news with a good attitude. How? How did he do that? He chose joy, regardless of his circumstances. So most of the stuff that you hear in this series is going to be stuff that you've already heard before. But I hope that through this series, it's going to motivate you to do something that you already know. You know, the genius in a sermon is not teaching you something that you've never heard before, but teaching you something that you already know in a way that motivates you to go ahead and do it. You got to do it. So you know that joy's out there, but through this series, I'm going to help you choose joy in every situation, whether it's a good one or a bad one, we're going to choose it. Here's how the Apostle Paul explains it. 2 Corinthians 6.10, our hearts ache, but we always have joy. We are poor, but we give spiritual riches to others. We own nothing, and yet we have everything. He wasn't waiting to feel joy. He chose joy, even when his circumstances were not so good. So through this series, I'm actually going to give you five different choices that you can make to bring joy into your life. And I'm just going to give you one each Sunday so you can grab a hold of it and work with it. And I plan this series right now on purpose when the political drama is at its highest peak because over the next couple of months, you guys are going to have a good opportunity to have your joy stolen from you. But it's not going to happen because you're going to know how to choose joy. And people are going to be like, how are you so joyful when all this is going on? Because I chose it. And it's God's gift to me. So we're going to call today's message the first choice. Because there's one choice that you have to make first if you want to experience joy. And that is to develop a lifestyle of prayer. You've got to pray first. When we fully grasp the power in prayer, we pray first. Before I answer that email, I pray first. Before I post that on Facebook, I don't post it. I pray first. God, is this what you want me to say? Is this going to be helpful for people? Here's a simple truth we all need to grab a hold of. 
Prayer should be our first response, not our last resort. If we're going to choose joy, the first thing we got to do is pray first. You'll never experience lasting joy if you don't pray first. Have you discovered the purpose of our 21 days of prayer yet, now that we've done it a few times? It's to try to develop that, that lifestyle inside of you to pray first. That's why we do it two times a year. We have to have a culture of prayer here at No Limits if we want to fulfill our purpose. Do you all realize that we won't fulfill our purpose if we're not all prayer warriors, if we don't develop a lifestyle of prayer? So to experience joy, we got to pray first. And wouldn't you believe it, our example of this is the Apostle Paul. So we're going to work through one chapter in the book of Philippians today, and it's just going to reveal all this that we need to know about prayer and joy and how they go together. Most of us, well, Paul actually, he wrote the book of Philippians while he was in prison. And we're not talking about like the prisons that we have today where you get to watch cable TV all day and just kind of veg out. Like he was probably like underground in a damp environment. He'd probably been beaten, so he was probably bleeding. He's probably hungry. It's probably damp. Most of us wouldn't survive a day where Paul was. We'd be down there a day and we'd be like, God, just go ahead and kill me now and take me home because I don't want to be here. But what does Paul say while he's in prison writing this book? Always be full of joy in the Lord. I'll say it again. Rejoice. You know, if someone had a perfect life and was telling us this, we'd have a reason to be skeptical, right? But I think that Paul earned the right to kind of straighten us out in this, this issue. We don't need just a little bit of joy either. We need to be what? Full of joy. And he knew we'd have a hard time with this, so he said it again. Rejoice. In other words, you're going to have to get some joys, and then you're going to have to re-up on it. You're going to have to rejoice. And then the next day, you're going to have to rejoice. And then the next hour, you're going to have to rejoice. When they get your lunch order wrong, you're going to have to rejoice. When somebody cuts you off in traffic, you're going to have to rejoice. When your friend posts something political that goes against your idea of what should happen in in November, you got to rejoice. There's a lot of rejoicing going on. Why? Why is it so important to choose joy? Is it just for you? Is it just for my benefit? Well, you're going to benefit from it. Your life's going to be a whole lot better, but it's also for everyone else. Take a look. The scripture goes on to say, let everyone see Let them see that you are considerate in all you do. Remember, the Lord's coming soon. Joy enables us to make a difference in the lives of others. It helps people see, see the Lord with their own eyes. All this time you thought you had to preach to lead people to Jesus, but now you know all you got to do is choose joy. As we're about to find out in this chapter of Philippians, you, you can't choose joy without prayer There are five things that prayer produces in our lives that enable us to choose joy. So when you choose to adopt a lifestyle of prayer, seriously, you guys are going to get these five benefits that I'm going to give you today. This is such good stuff. And here's the first one. Prayer replaces worry. And this one's probably going to resonate with all of us because at some point in 2020, you've probably been worried. You've been worried about your health. You've been worried about your financial situation. You've been worried about your family. Here's the truth about worry, though. If you worry about something and then it happens, you've worried twice. If you worry about something and it doesn't happen, you've worried in vain. I think we'd all agree that worry doesn't add anything to our lives. It actually takes things away from us, yet it still keeps showing up. So how do we get rid of it? Well, Philippians 4, 6 says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he's done. And when I read this, I kind of feel a little bit ashamed about all the times that I've worried 
Like maybe I'm just really not that good of a Christian or maybe my faith's just not where it needs to be. But if God expected us to never deal with worry, I imagine the scripture would have said more like, you know, worry is a sin, so y'all knock it off. I've had enough. But this is actually more of an encouragement. Hey, I know you're worried, but here's how you get out of it. You pray. Here's your answer. And in the words of Jesus, Matthew 6, 34, so don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. This is the same thing Paul's teaching us in Philippians. Worrying about future events is not going to add anything to your life. It's not going to keep bad things from happening. It's not going to do anything for you. It's just going to take away from you. And that's why you got to get it out. Get the worry out. Worry does reveal something, though. If we want to say, is there any benefit that comes from worry? Hmm, I don't know if you could consider this a benefit or not. I'm about to share some hard truth with you all, so I hope you're ready. Buckle your seatbelt. Here it comes. What we worry about reveals where we trust God least. That's about the only benefit. We got to get rid of worry. And the way out of worry just so happens to be prayer. What kind of prayer? Well, a prayer that's focused on thankfulness. You thank God for life. You gave me life. You thank God for purpose. You gave me purpose. You thank God for provision. You've given me all that I need. You thank God for your amazing church. You thank God for your amazing pastor. The next time you're worried, pray a prayer of thankfulness and watch the worry disappear. And you keep at it until it's completely gone. You just keep being thankful and keep being thankful until that worry disappears. And here's the deal. I can't do this for you. I would if I could, but you got to do it. You got to choose to pray instead of worry. That is your choice to make. You get to choose it every time the worry shows up. And prayer doesn't just take away worry. It actually gives you something in return. And here's the next thing. Prayer creates peace. You know, if the worry disappeared, but nothing took its place, I imagine worry would kind of just wiggle its way back into your life, into that vacant spot. But God fills this space with peace so that there's no more room for worry. Because you can't be worried and at peace at the same time. But you have a part to play in this. So let's look at this verse one more time. This is for you, Darla. We're going to look at it in the Amplified Version. Do not be anxious or worried about anything, but in everything, in every circumstance, in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, continue to make your specific requests known to God. Woohoo! And if we want what comes next in the next verse, which I'll tell you is peace, then you have to ask God for specifics. In other words, you have to offload everything that's bothering you. Leave it in God's hands. You give it to God. It's kind of like when the grandparents drop the grandkids back off at the parents' house. You know, it was fun for a little while, but there comes a point where they've had enough and they got to take the kids back to their parents' house and they gladly drive away. Love you. Bye. So when we pray, that's what we need to do with the stuff that's bothering us. We, we drop it off and, and we leave, never to come back and get it again. And let me tell you guys that you can't co-own the problems with God. Sometimes we're like, here, God, this part's really heavy. I don't think I can deal with this, but I'm still dealing with this part okay, so I'm going to keep this part. No, you got to let it all go, and you got to trust him. Trust that God can handle it better than you can. And when you do this, when you really hand your problems over to God, sometimes we think that we do and we really didn't. We talk to him about it, and then we take him right back with us. But when you really leave him there, here's what happens. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. 
So did you all see it? When you pray, it takes away the worry and it gives you peace. And peace stands as a guard over your mind. I know it sounds too good to be true, but try it next time you get worried and just see if it works. Y'all, this is free to try. You don't even have to give a tithe or an offering to try this one. You just try it. The word works. Here's another scripture to show you this is true. Romans 15, 13. I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in him. Notice that the joy and peace comes as a result of something. Because you trust in him, you can just develop that attitude of God. I can't handle this on my own, so I'm going to leave this at your feet, and I ain't going to pick it up again because I trust you. Let me make this practical for you. For all the wives out there, you say, I can't keep tabs on my husband 24-7, so I trust you, God, to keep him clean, to keep him on purpose, to keep him on task. I can't be with my kids 24-7 by their side, always protecting them. So, God, I trust you to protect them. I can't predict the economy. I can't predict when I'm going to lose my job or if this business is going to close or whatever. But I trust you, God, to provide for me. Because I know if I lose this job, you already got another one lined out for me. That's what it looks like to trust God. Some of you need to relinquish control and trust God. What is that in your life? Is it a financial thing? Is it a protection thing? Is it something in your marriage? Like we all kind of have that one thing that we like to hold on to and and think that we'll do a better job controlling it instead of God. But you got to relinquish control and say, God, I trust you. And this reminds me of, I was having a little health struggle a few months ago, and I was standing in my bathroom. It's like the Lord just like spoke an audible word to me. He's like, Cade, either you can try to fix this or you can let me fix it. Either you can have control over this or you got to give me control over it. Because I was just trying to think of like, well, what could I do to fix this problem? I could eat this, I could do this. And I was just looking for all these things that I could do to fix the problem. And God's like, you got to give control to me. Do you want me to handle it or do you want to handle it? Uh, I want you to, because you're going to do a much better job than I can. Here's the next thing prayer helps you with. Prayer redirects our thoughts. Have you ever been stuck in the wrong kind of thinking? Stuck in a rut? Like you start thinking about all the things your spouse does that annoys you, and before you know it, you're just like steaming mad at them over nothing. Or how about those times where you've messed up, like maybe you messed up at work or something like that, made a mistake, and you just sit there and you replay your mistake over and over and over and over in your mind, and you think of, who might be mad at me after this, or... Or what might go wrong? Or I might lose my job. Or like you just play out all these scenarios that haven't even happened. Probably aren't true. Sometimes we need something to kind of redirect our thoughts and slap them back into submission. And prayer just so happens to be your friend in that area. Let me show you what I mean. This is a continuation of the scripture that we've been reading. He says to fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Well, where do you do this kind of thinking? Probably not in the shower. Probably not by default. You do this kind of thinking in prayer. And one of the most misconceptions about prayer is that you think you have to talk the whole time. And so some people don't even try to pray because they know after 10 seconds they're going to run out of things to say. Can I get a witness? That's me right there. All the talkers, though, out there, like, you don't have a clue what I'm talking about. You're like, oh, I just pray for hours. I always got something to say. But what we all need to know is that spending time focusing your thoughts on God, focusing your thoughts on the good things, that's a form of prayer. And I like to do this every morning before I get out of bed. I just lay there and I think of the good things that are going on in my life, the good things God's doing around me. That's how I like to start my day. I can't pray out loud because I might wake Beth up. You don't wake Beth up. You let her wake up by herself. (laughs) So you just lay there. You think of the good things first thing in the morning. That is just like the best way to start the day. Y'all should try it. But I love this quote by C.S. Lewis regarding the benefits of setting our thoughts on God. He says, aim at heaven 
and you'll get earth thrown in. Aim at earth, and you'll get neither. So think about the things of heaven. Think about the good things. And your whole experience here on earth is going to go a whole lot better. But if you spend all your time thinking about the problems here on earth, the problems with your family, the problems over here, then sooner or later you're going to even forget that heaven exists. You're not going to realize that God's good. You're just going to be depressed. So think about the good things. Is there ever a reason to think about the bad things? Is there ever a reason to think about what your spouse did wrong? Is there ever a reason to think about what your pastor did wrong? No, it doesn't benefit anything. Always redirect your thoughts. Think on the good thing. And here's the next thing you need to know about prayer, and that's prayer reveals contentment. So when you start praying, like you usually have all kinds of needs. Oh God, I need a bigger car or a faster car or a newer car. And God, I need a bigger house. We're growing out of this. God, I need some new clothes. I mean, you go to God with all these, all these needs, and he's okay with that, y'all. He, he might chuckle a little bit whenever we go to him with stuff like that, but he's, go ahead and talk to him about it. But if you, keep, if you keep getting that stuff out, eventually you get to the, the end of your needs list, and you're like, oh, I think I, have every, I already have everything that I need. Let's look at how the Apostle Paul explains it. He says, I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it's with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little. So Paul found out that it really didn't matter how rich he was or how much food he had to eat or how big his house was or how nice his car was, whether he was driving a new Tesla or an old Toyota. Like, he was content, regardless. Doesn't it sound good? Like, wouldn't you, wouldn't you like to live your life content, regardless of the car you're driving, regardless of where you live? You're just content. You're just chill. God's provided everything that I need. Just like the psalmist said in Psalms 23.1, the Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. I got it all. How about living from a place of contentment? I have all that I need. I may not have everything that culture tells me that I need, but they lie to me anyway. I don't need that stuff. I don't need more Tupperware. I don't need more clothes. I don't need a different car. I have all that I need. And prayer is where you find this contentment because it leads you to the last thing that I'm going to show you about prayer, and that's prayer relies on God. This is how you get to the place of contentment. It's not that you don't have needs. It's not that everything's perfect. You've just handed it all over to God, and you're trusting that He knows best, regardless of what you see with your eyes, regardless of the experiences going around, going on around you. Just like the Apostle Paul said, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. I can't do this on my own, but I can do it through Christ. When I let God's power work in me, his mighty power work, he's going to blow my mind with what he can accomplish through me. Try to do this yourself, and we all have. Can I get a witness? You'll make it a little ways, since you're made in the image of God. <laughs> you make it a little way, and then you just, you crash, and you fall, and you burn, and you're like, well, well, what happened? I thought I had it that time. I thought I had everything going for me. But you got to get yourself out of the way. And allow God's power to work through you, and you're going to go way further than you ever could have imagined. Here's how the Apostle Paul ends this chapter. He says, And the same God who takes care of me will supply all your needs from his glorious riches, which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. Because you might have read all that, and you're like, well, yeah, that was for the Apostle Paul. Obviously, he was a super Christian who wrote half the New Testament. I can understand why God would give all that to him. But here, it's for you, too. It wasn't just for Paul. It's for you. And you've probably heard this scripture before, and I hope today you see it in a new light. And I hope you own it. Huh, that's for me. When we pray, it leads us to a place where not only our needs are met, where our needs are met not because of our striving and hustles, 
but because we trust God to meet our needs. And this happens through prayer for one reason. Prayer doesn't move God closer to us. Prayer moves us closer to God. We're the ones that walk away. He's always there. So to end today, let me just give you two quick practical ways to to develop a lifestyle of prayer. And here's the first one. You got to pray first. You'll be tempted to worry first. You'll be tempted to talk to someone else first. You'll be tempted to just wait it out and see what happens. Instead, let your response be to pray first. Even if it's just a three-word prayer, God, help me. Pray first. The next one is you got to pray continually. Like you don't have to wait till your prayer time or until the house is quiet or until the environment's perfect or until you're at church. Pray every chance you get. When you're at work, just take a moment to think of all the good things that he's doing in your life. When you get stressed out, go on a walk and release all your anxieties to God. Pray for your kids whenever they're yelling at you, whenever they're screaming at you. Anytime you think of it throughout the day, pray, and it doesn't have to be perfect. You don't even have to close your eyes. You just simply acknowledge God. Anytime you acknowledge God, that's, a, that's prayer. And that's it. It's not complicated. It doesn't have to look like somebody else's prayer life. You don't have to pray for hours. Thank God. But you can pray throughout the day. So you do those two things, and you're going to find yourself content. You're going to find peace. You're going to find joy. Just like it says in Proverbs, those who listen to the instruction today will prosper. Those who trust in the Lord will be joyful. So let's pray together now. Lord, we come to you and we just, we thank you for your instruction today. We thank you for your word. And we vow today to come to you in prayer every time that we're worried. Every time that worry tries to creep into our lives, we're going to come to you in prayer. And as your word says, whenever we pray, the worry will disappear and you will give us peace in its place. Your word is true. Your word is life. We honor your word today. We're grateful for your word. We believe your word. God, this is your word. God, we honor you today. You've given us everything we need. We rest in your provision. We rest in your peace. Lord, I thank you that you've renewed our minds today and that you've given us that one thing that we can take home and apply to our lives that's just going to make a a tremendous difference. And not only our life, but our ability to spread joy to others, to spread the good news to others. Now, there may be somebody listening right now that there's something stirring on the inside of you. You're just kind of like, I don't know what it is. I'm just excited. I, I can sense that God is real. I sense that he has something for me. And the first gift that he has for you is salvation through Jesus Christ. You see, without Jesus, you can't have a relationship with God because of all the things you've done wrong. But Jesus died on the cross and he rose back to life so that you could die with him. All your, all your, all your bad choices, all your sin, that just dies with him. And then you're raised to new life with him. That's what Jesus did for you. And so you believe in Jesus right now and your relationship with God will be immediately restored. Jesus already took care of it all. He took care of everything you need. 
Jesus paid the price for everything you've done wrong and everything that you will do wrong in the future. Jesus is good. And all you have to do is believe that he did that for you. And then you say it with your mouth. I believe in Jesus. So I want to help you put your faith into words by leading you in a prayer right now. So just say these simple words after me. Say, Jesus, thank you. You paid for my sin on the cross. You gave me new life when you rose again. I want you to lead my life. I believe in you, Jesus. I trust you. And we do, Lord, we trust you. We trust you. We hand it all over to you. Don't leave today with anything that you carried in. Whatever's, whatever's heavy in your life right now, just, just lay it down at the feet of Jesus and leave it there with him. Let's trust him with those things so that we can walk and live our lives with joy, with peace, with freedom. That's how we spread the good news. And so we thank you, Lord, for all these good gifts that you've given us. We receive them. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. Amen. Well, if you gave your life to Jesus today, that is so exciting. There's an awesome journey that's ahead, and we would love to help you along that journey. But we can't help you if we don't know that you made that decision today. So we set up an easy way for you to tell us. You simply text the word Jesus to 918-373-9883, and we'll reach out back to you, and and we'll help you through that journey. It'll be good stuff. We're excited to walk through that with you. Now, I do this and say this every Sunday, but it never gets old. You guys, thank you so much for your generosity like, it's so good. Seriously, you guys are a generous church, and everybody is doing their part. We're bringing our resources together, and it enables us to do amazing things. And I just so look forward to what God's going to do through our church in the future. Like, he kind of always blows my mind. I didn't realize we'd be buying a car for Mexico this year, and, and, and we did it. So what's next? Are we going to buy a house for somebody? I don't know. It's going to be good stuff. I'm excited. So if you're ready to give today and you're giving by cash or check, you can raise your hands and our ushers will bring you an offering envelope. Most people give online and you can do that anytime. And how you do that is you open a browser in your phone, tablet, computer, whatever device you're using, type in nolimits.fyi. On that page, you'll find a giving button. You tap that giving button, it'll get you where you need to go. Thank you so much for joining us. And a special thanks to those that give in to our ministry. It's because of your generous giving that we're able to lead people to Jesus and make a difference all around the world. If you're ready to give, head to your browser and type nolimits.fyi into the address bar. And if you were encouraged by this podcast, then hit that share button and pass it on so that others can be encouraged as well. Or you can even take a screenshot and share it on your social stories. Thanks again for listening. Now let's go make a difference.